Kia ora everyone, I'm Andrew Whiteside and in this interview I'm speaking with Sarah McBride who is a transgender woman and the National Press Secretary for the Human Rights Campaign which is based in America. She's also an author and became the first openly transgender person to address a major party political event in the United States when she spoke at the 2016 Democratic National Convention. Sarah was in New Zealand recently helping to launch Andrew Reynolds' book, The Children of Harvey Milk, which chronicles the queer leaders making a difference in our world. And she set aside a little bit of time to speak to me. Sarah McBride, a real pleasure to meet you and welcome to New Zealand, your first time. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, it is my first time in New Zealand. I've waited a lifetime to come here. So you are almost the new generation of activism in our queer communities. Does, does that feel like a big burden to you or does it feel like not, this is a natural progression? Well, you know, I think that, that it, in many ways um, it, it feels like a natural progression. Um, I, am, uh, I am constantly trying to evaluate both uh, or think about both the, the elders that have come before, those who have blazed the trails that have made the work and the progress that I'm seeing right now possible. And I'm also trying to constantly uh, evaluate how we can make more space for younger people to participate in activism and politics. Because the reality is, is you know, as much as this is an intergenerational uh, movement, it has always been young people who are at the forefront of the social change. Um, and, and that I mean people who are younger than me, people who are in high school and college, um, who are rethinking the world in ways that those of us who have lived on this earth longer have a more difficult time doing. Um, and so I find myself in, in sort of the sweet spot of being able to learn from my elders while being inspired and challenged by those who are younger than me. When did you first get a sense that you were different? I have known that I'm transgender my entire life. Um, my first memories are of lying in my bed at night praying that I would wake up the next day and be myself. And it wasn't that I knew I was different, it's I knew who I was. I knew that I was a girl and I knew that, um, that, that not being seen as who I knew I was was causing me pain. Um, so it's, it, it's a fact I've known about myself my entire life, but at the same time, for the first several years of my life, um, I didn't have the language to express it. Yeah. I didn't know that there were other people like me. I didn't know that there was something that I could do about this fact that I knew as much as I knew that the sky is blue and I love my parents. Um, and, and so that was a, a lonely path that I think is, is one that's shared by far too many LGBTQ people. Um, and one of the reasons why I, I so love this book uh, is that it's helping to it's helping to preserve our history um, so that young LGBTQ people can know across the world that they aren't alone, that uh, there are other people who have wondered the same things they wonder, fear the same things they fear, and yet despite all of the odds have made change, made history, and pursued their dreams. Now you were uh, instrumental or part of the process of changing the laws in Delaware to, to um, end discrimination in there. Is, was Delaware a more liberal kind of state anyway, or were there still challenges that you, that you faced? Delaware is a, is a democratic state um, at the time, and to this day we still have a democratic governor and uh, Democrats controlling both chambers of the state legislature, which certainly helped to lay the foundation for us to be able to achieve progress. The reality was, though, that we still only passed the Gender Identity Non-Discrimination Bill by one vote in our state Senate. Uh, and the, the movement for trans rights in Delaware required even 
democratic elected officials to be educated. Um, it still required agitation from the outside. It still required our allies to call and email and protest and, and organize um, for transgender rights. Uh, and so it, it wasn't an easy path. Um, the fact that it, that it passed with just one vote to spare, without one vote to spare, I think reinforces that. Uh, but we were definitely lucky enough to live in, I'm definitely young, lucky enough to live in a state where Democrats do control everything. Um, and one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about the work that I do at the Human Rights Campaign is at the end of the day, your state or your zip code or your city shouldn't impact whether you're treated with dignity and fairness and have equal rights. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about pushing forward nationwide non-discrimination protections in the United States, because it shouldn't matter whether you live in a Democratic state or a Republican state, whether you live on this side of the river or that side of the river, you should be treated with fairness. One of the themes that's come out in uh, the, the Children of Harvey Milk is this notion, the milk principle, where mm -hmm. visibility, telling real stories, a real connection between people uh, is, is vital. How important was that in Delaware, and how important do you think it is across the board, particularly in where American politics are at the moment? Yeah, I, you know, I think there's no question that the progress we've seen on LGBTQ rights throughout the United States and, and throughout the world is a byproduct of the fact that people have gotten to know LGBTQ people in their communities, in their schools, in their workplaces, on their television, in their government. Um, when you know someone, it becomes much more difficult to hate them. Um, when you have to look a person in the eye, when you get to know their name, when you get to understand their hopes and their dreams and their fears, you understand that at the center of the conversation are real people. Um, and when that shift in perspective occurs, it becomes difficult to deny those people the equal protection of the laws or equal treatment by society. So I think it's been critical. Um, it's critical in opening hearts and changing minds. It's critical to giving hope and comfort and security to LGBTQ people who are struggling. Um, and I think one of the challenges we face as a society is how do we replicate that kind of change when our differences and, and um, geography keep us further apart, right? One of the things about LGBTQ people is we organically exist everywhere. We organically show up in families of every political persuasion and belief system and religion and race and across geography. And how do we create the same kind of change we've seen through that organic existence everywhere when there's geographic uh, segregation that keeps us apart, that keeps us from being able to get to know our neighbors in the same way we get to know those in our own families or those who are living next door to us. I wanted to ask you about the current political scene in, um, in the US, and in particular, your, your president. So there's been, you know, it seems as though transgender issues are being used in order to run an agenda in America, particularly by um, the GOP. What, initially, what, what does that do for someone like yourself, who is transgender, to see these bathroom bills, the bans in the, in, uh, the armed forces again? Uh, just this, recent, uh, this week, they've been talking about um, the ability to ban transgender homeless people from shelters. Mm -hmm. What kind of toll does that take? Even on you, you're, you're public, you're out there, you're fighting the battle, but it must affect you. Without question, um, the political attacks we see on transgender people impact all of us, um, impact every transgender person who's 
turning on their television or opening their computer and seeing headlines that their own government is not just turning its back on you, but proactively seeking to target you for cruel and dangerous discrimination. Um, it is it is incredibly dehumanizing to see. It is frightening. Um, but I also am mindful of the fact that I am also shielded in many ways from the worst outcomes of this administration's policies. Um, my intersecting privileges, the places that I live, the family support that I have, help to ensure that, that I'm less at risk of facing discrimination or violence. Um, and we know that's not the reality for LGBTQ people in the deep south of the United States. It's not the reality for LGBTQ people of color, um, LGBTQ people living in poverty. Uh, and so I, I am constantly reminded of the fact that as dehumanizing as it may be for me to, uh, to witness these attacks, um, it is far more dangerous for so many LGBTQ people, particularly transgender people across the United States. You know, I think that this is an administration that from day one has targeted the rights and dignity of transgender people. Um, I think that is in large part because Donald Trump has in one of his first major decisions as a candidate for president, chose a politician who has built his entire career obsessing over discriminating against LGBTQ people. Um, and in many ways throughout this administration, Mike Pence has been driving this agenda. Now, Donald Trump clearly has a, has a, has a visceral um, inclination to the politics of division and discrimination. Um, but when it comes to LGBTQ rights, it's clear that Mike Pence um, is the man behind the curtain, um, that this is a, an agenda that, 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 um, that fulfills some sort of lifelong um, obsession with discrimination against LGBTQ people, uh, and he's stacked the administration with people who will do his bidding. Uh, and it's, it's dangerous, uh, it's cruel, and it's antithetical to the laws and values of our country. Um, and I believe that in the end, Donald Trump and Mike Pence will see that LGBTQ rights um, aren't are, are, are not a wedge issue, that the vast majority of Americans are on our side, and that when politicians like, Pat, like Mike Pence and Donald Trump come for us, we end up coming for them on election day. So you, you are hopeful? I am. I, I, I am hopeful. I think that Donald Trump and Mike Pence, um, without question, reflect um, uh, some of the darkest undercurrents of our society that have always been there. I think they have emboldened and enhanced them. But I also think that they have um, helped uh, our communities organize and mobilize in unprecedented ways. I think they've sparked conversations that sow the seeds of the destruction of the politics of hate that they seek to implement. And I think that in the end, my belief and my hope is that Donald Trump and Mike Pence administration will be viewed as the last gasp of a dying movement. Because I think it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? Because if, if uh, discrimination is often covert, when it's overt, it may well encourage other people to join the bandwagon, but at least we know it exists. Well, I think that's right. I actually think that, that one of the things that we've seen since Stonewall is that every single time uh, anti-LGBTQ politicians come for us, we end up having a conversation with the country that serves to open hearts and change minds, and in the end it lays the foundation for equality. I think we saw it in 2004. Uh, when George W. Bush won re-election in large part because of the proliferation of same-sex marriage bans across the United States. 
I don't think many people would have thought that that was actually the beginning of the end of the anti-marriage equality movement, that it would have sparked conversations in living rooms and around dining room tables, um, in workplaces and in communities that would have resulted in marriage equality just 11 years later in every state in the country. I think we saw it in 2016 when Pat McCrory, the governor of North Carolina, targeted the trans community for discrimination with the, the notorious bathroom bill. Thinking that it would be his ticket to re-election, it was in the end actually one of the large re main reasons why he lost re-election, the only incumbent governor in the country um, to lose re-election that cycle. So you've achieved a lot already. Do you think you'll seek office somewhere? Is, is a political future in your future? I think one of the things that I have without question seen throughout my advocacy is one of the challenges facing my own community is that in the vast majority of legislative bodies, our voices are completely absent at the end of the day. When those lawmakers enter the caucus room, um, when they end up having meetings with their colleagues, when they're standing on the floor, the voices of transgender people aren't present. Um, and we know the power of having our voices included in those conversations. We see it when it comes to gay rights. We see it when it comes to gender equity. We see it when it comes to um, racial justice, that when, um, when you're in the room, the conversation changes. And when you're not at the table, you're on the menu. Um, I also think that politics is the place where every avenue of society converges and you can make the most amount of change for the most number of people in the most number of ways in hopefully the fastest ways possible. Um, so maybe. Um, I, you know, I think that, that in order to see the change that, that we want to see, our governments have to look more like the people they're seeking to represent. So that's definite maybe. <laughs> A de we'll definitely watch. maybe. <laughs> we'll, we'll watch this space. Uh, I guess my, my final question really is just, you know, saying something to those young transgender kids who are hearing all this cruel talk about themselves, no matter where they are in the world. They do see some positive role models out there, but they're still wondering what's wrong with me or whatever. What would you say to them right now? What I would say to a young person who's feeling alone is that while it may seem scary, while it might seem like you are absolutely alone in this moment, you need to know that there are millions and millions of people around the world who see you, who love you, and who are fighting every single day to make sure that you are treated with dignity and with fairness. And I also think you should know that it may be hard to see it right now, but who you are, being a transgender person, is part of the beautiful diversity of our world. That being transgender makes you special, it makes you stronger, it makes you more compassionate, that our diversity as a society and as a humanity makes this world interesting. And the very thing that you're most scared of, the fact that you have conquered those fears, accepted yourself, and in many cases walked forward from a place of pride, that is power. You are powerful just by being, and you carry that power with you from the safest of spaces to the scariest of places. That was uh, Sarah McBride. I have to say it was an absolute privilege to meet her. If you like this interview, please share it. I'm Andrew Whiteside. Thanks for listening.